Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Challenging. Thought-provoking. Insightful. This is God in Country. The Collision of Faith and Politics. Hosted by nationally known speaker... Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Hey folks, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's an honor to have you. I say that every week and I mean it every week. Uh, the audience is growing every week, and that's a cool thing. I think uh, I'm very proud uh, to do what I do. And anybody could do this. I, I'll just tell you the truth. Anyone. Anyone could do it. it it's, it's not all that expensive to do. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, I pay to do it. It's not something I get paid to do. We do talk about things like thelogox.com. Uh, but that brings you a discount, $25 off a three-in-one uh, tool, logging tool. There's new photographs going up there on their website. If you put in the Ninja Pastor, you'll get a discount of $25. Kid you not. So that's a benefit to you. Second call defense um, on our website, the, it's a banner at the bottom, the Ninja Pastor or drshawngreener.com. Down at the bottom, you click on that, boom, you will uh, immediately see the banner. You click on that banner, second call defense banner, and It'll take you to the website and learn all about why it's so critically important. As a gun owner and as a person who carries a gun, let me tell you, I wouldn't be without it. So, you know, but we don't get paid to do the show. We try to help some organizations out that we believe in. Um, some gold star organizations like uh, the Michael Strange Foundation. Unbelievable people. Uh, Michael, you know, look, he, he gave his life. Extortion 17 in Afghanistan, Tangy River Valley. And uh, and Charles and Marianne Strange and all the great volunteers and Mr. Mike Quinn, uh, so many of these great people, they, they give us so much. And why? Because the gold stars are worth it. They're, they're of value. They're of great value. And you know what? Nobody else really is attending to them. There's some other, and this is what I find ironic, is the, the other gold stars are the ones reaching out to each other. But the Michael Strange Foundation, different difference is, is they provide uh, really extraordinary and ongoing uh, uh, grief, they come alongside of you. I mean, I want to call it counseling, but it's like they're right next to you. They, they've lived it. Uh, I was privileged to address last weekend. 
weekend before last, uh, the Michael Strange Foundation, their grief workshop, and uh, it was really, really something down in Ocean City, Maryland. Uh, great, great people. Uh, these gold stars, I have to tell you, I've never met a batch of, of nicer people. They just really are great people. And uh, I'll also say that um, my Kehala, my Kehala is very, it's like a, like a church, that's what we call our church, Kehala. Uh, it's a more accurate rendition. Um, than than church or ecclesia, uh, so it is really really cool that uh, we have that group of people and uh, we meet in Newark, Delaware, almost every Sunday. So at five o'clock we have a meal that you won't believe, and then at five thirty it's just uh, it's on like Donkey Kong. So we're live there, so you can join us live in person. Uh, we can we can see you. That's not a problem. And then uh, we also are uh, live on the air. So at 5.30, we go live on the air. But I really appreciate you joining me today. I know there's a thousand things that you could be doing. And quite frankly, uh, I am honored that you would join me. Tough week for Delawareans, tough week for, for current and former police officers. I am, in fact, a former police officer. Uh, tough time, tough time. I'll talk about that in a second. But by the way, I did a, a Facebook Live video today. So if you subscribe to me on Facebook or you follow me, uh, go down there and you'll find the video. It's it's probably might be worth watching. And today, uh, Confessions of an Idiot from The Idiot. And uh, the, the author of the blog, Confessions of an Idiot, um, is no idiot. You know, it's it's interesting to me that, that he jokes around and calls himself that. Uh, very self-deprecating, but really, truly a very, very smart guy. He's going to be on in, in just a few minutes. Um, I, one of the things I want to talk about today, I mean, we'll talk about lots of things. Uh, we're not going to be rushed. That's one reason why I've designed this show the way that I have is, you know, I've been on countless uh, radio and TV interviews. I've, they interviewed me. And I tell you, the sad part of it is it's, it's, it's four to seven minutes. The average is four to seven minutes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? It's just extraordinary. Four to seven minutes. Uh, I have to say that, um, that's a tough thing to do an interview in that space of time. It really, really is. And and if I'm being honest, not much really can get done in that space of time. All you can really do is is whet the appetite of the audience, and the hope is is that you do that. That's what you try to do. You try to be really, um, you know, direct and to the point and engaging, uh, all of those things. By the way, we did a video. Um, someone said you need to mention that video. We did a video for uh, just I was like a minute. Um, and when we were at this thing in, in Ocean City, uh, the Michael Strange Foundation uh, Gold Star uh, Retreat, and I was doing this grief workshop, we drove to this um, American Legion, extraordinary people. The Ocean City American Legion are not to be, I, I mean, first of all, their facility is top notch. It's just top notch. But even more than that, uh, their their hospitality, their kindness, their patriotism, and their care and concern for the Gold Star families is really extraordinary, unparalleled that I've experienced. So they welcomed us in. They, they did a really nice dinner and presentation. But I have to say, on the way there, we stopped to do this uh, wreath ceremony where for the, the Gold Stars, these, these volunteers, amazing, I'm telling you, uh, Karen Drum and... and um, Sean and Angie, I won't say their last name because he's the current military. Um, uh, Bob and Millie and Robert, uh, you know, Philly Bob. 
uh, you know, all these different people doing amazing things in there. Laurel, um, uh, Anthony, gosh, so many, so many. I know I'm forgetting about somebody, but they were they're scurrying in there. I mean, they were getting in there and getting after it. Uh, there's another guy, uh, Mr. McHugh. Yeah, he was awesome, too. You know, they're in there working and 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 doing stuff and, you know, just getting after it. It's just absolutely amazing. So we stop at this little outcropping. We're along the water. Of course, we're in Ocean City, Maryland. So, of course, we're on the water, uh, bay and ocean. I mean, it's just a thin peninsula type of thing. And uh, we do a wreath ceremony. So if you go to facebook.com backslash the ninja pastor, or no, 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 SM Greener, you do facebook.com backslash SM Greener, you won't be able to friend me. Uh, you can try. And then as I drop people off, I select people, you know, to put on, but we're pretty much always at 5,000 friends. Um, but if you go to my videos and you'll see that one little video where uh, this gentleman, this, this great veteran, plays the national anthem, national anthem, so stupid. Uh, God, my brain. No, taps, he plays taps uh, in the background. And I, you know, I was just videoing it just so I would remember, I didn't know that was gonna happen. I'd never been to the wreath ceremony before. Uh, it was in honor of a fellow who actually died uh, last year and uh, he was a gold star. And so he really impacted the organization. All that said to say this, that very powerful, so powerful. And I said, man, I'm going to remember this. And, but what was really amazing is the people, the community didn't even know that this was happening. And they came out of their houses with their cameras and uh, their flags. Uh, one lady put up a banner on her balcony really quick, her and her daughter, whoosh, they run in and they see what's happening. They figure it out. And uh, really so beautiful. So, so beautiful. And I have to say uh, that touched me. So I start videoing. And of course the parents the Gold Star families, they throw out the wreath into the water and they say the name of their soldier that they lost. And, and uh, you know, uh, you know, we crack, clap and pray and all of these different things. Well, then the tap starts playing. And so I swing around. It's such a brief video. It must only be it can't be more than between one to three minutes. And and these old soldiers, I mean, they're they're war veterans. They uh, they render a sharp, snappy salute. The police escort that we had, Ocean City PD, not to be, not to be compared to. I mean, they are just extraordinary in their care and their, and their respect, and and so they uh, they rendered a great salute, and the taps played, and uh, it was really a powerful thing. And that's that's over with combined places where where it's being shown. That little silly video shot with a with an iPhone has been viewed over three thousand times. So I would encourage you to go and and look at that and share it with your friends. Um, it, it's powerful. It'll remind you why we do what we do, which brings me to the dedication of this show is for Delaware State Police Corporal Stephen J. Ballard. Uh, Corporal Ballard, this time last week, literally this time last week, uh, his family was all in terrible shock. The police family, the Delaware State Police and Newcastle County and all the different police departments in, in Delaware and around the world, really, uh, were in shock at what happened to him. And on uh, the line of duty, he was murdered in the line of duty. And then, of course, I was happened to be at the standoff uh, inside the ring uh, in the back of the house where uh, eventually the next morning at 9.17 in the morning, the uh, piece of crap came out and entered into a gun battle with the police. And he was summarily dispatched, which is as it should be. All that said to say this, you know, I, I have to say 
the guy lived his life. He was only 36 years old. He lived his life beautifully. He was extremely well liked both on the police department, on the Delaware State Police, and and in general by the public. Uh, comments pouring in about how he helped them. I also learned that uh, he is a man of faith. And so when he closed his eyes on the earth and such a terrible, terrible thing is being murdered by a perpetrator, um, before he closed his eyes the last, uh, he opened them to Christ. And, and that's a powerful thing. I don't know if you're a believer or not. Most people that listen to the show do have some sort of belief uh, in Christ, but I, I have a firm belief in Christ. And one thing I know is this, is um, that led me to think about the show. Andy is an excellent writer. He's an excellent thinker, but he's really an excellent writer. Um, and that's an outcropping of his thinking. He does a great job of putting what he's thinking onto the page. And in in this one post, he got me thinking about life. And I wanted to talk to him about that. We're going to talk about other things. But life does not just happen, folks. It doesn't just happen. Life is lived. And it brings me to the question, how well do you live? What's your excuse? Uh, I've talked to people today, communicated with people today, who they're not living their life. Uh, they've been crapped on. Their spouse, unfaithful, uh, you know, uh, lie after lie after lie, and everything comes crashing down. Everything just falls apart. Their whole life falls apart. They go back and they start recounting everything They're like, oh, that was a lie. Oh, that was a lie. That was a lie. Um, people, you know, eating themselves to death, smoking themselves to death, drinking themselves to death, lying themselves to death, hurts, habits and hangups. And, and you know what? There's there. We, we can come up with countless excuses as to why we're not living fully. And almost always it's the blame game. It, we always have somebody else to blame, right? It's never us. We're we're never to blame. So we're going to dispel some of those excuses. We're going to talk about several other really powerful things, and but we will get around that. We'll chat frankly about how you and people you love enough to tell about this program uh, right now. We're also, chat is open. Hello to the folks in chat. It's an honor to have you. Thank you for joining us. Um, Sunday's, Sunday's show, by the way, uh, is, a, is a message, commercial-free message. And uh, it's, it's usually an hour or less. And it was really neat to see all around the world. We, we have 19 countries listening to our Sunday show and many more listening to this show. But it's an honor to have you from all around the world. But so I want to uh, for me, you know, I, I always repeat Heschel, uh, something sacred hangs in the balance of every moment. Maybe being very close to death. Andy has experienced obviously very close to death. He was shot uh, ser very seriously injured as a Navy SEAL. Um, being very close to death, I've been very close to death multiple times. Uh, the earlier, the, the latest time, the most recent was uh, obviously other health scares since then because of that. But five years ago, you know, I was in April, uh, April 12, 2012, I was in a fatal car crash, 92 miles per hour versus 51, went from 51 miles per hour to zero in seven feet. Absolutely unbelievable. And you know what? I, maybe that's what it takes to retether the soul to real life better than words alone. But I'm here to tell you, you do not want to have to go through what Andy Stump and what Sean Greener has had to go through. I, I, why do it? Why put yourself through it? Why put yourself through that? It's a better way. There's a better way. Save yourself some pain and save some wasted moments. And tell your friends listening right now. Hey, I'm going to bring in my friend, Andy. Andy, it's always a pleasure to have you. It's an honor to have you. So thank you very much for joining us today. I know you're a super busy guy. 
Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. By the way, this is where you're supposed to say I'm awesome. You're awesome, Sean. Nothing. I'm supposed Nothing. to say Yet you're again. awesome? Yeah. <laughs> Make it up if you have to. Dang. All right. Hey, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't go on the radio shows, man. I don't, I don't know the protocol or etiquette. <laughs> you're only all over television. Hey, that show is getting rave yeah, reviews a, that you're I did a TV show. I did a TV show. I'm not all over television. Oh, you know what? Your face was on that. Cute face and all. I'm thinking you're going to have a lot of fans. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Remains to be yeah. seen. Maybe so. I have a face for radio. They don't want to put me on television anymore. They uh, they learned their lesson. So tell me, what in the <laughs> world have you been up to? You've been all over the world, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, jumping out of airplanes and whatnot. What have you been up to the past several, several? I guess we should say several months. You've been on, you were on a few months ago. Yeah, um, you know, kind of the same thing. I spend about, I don't know, half to three quarters of my time skydiving uh, through the various disciplines that I'm a part of, whether that's with my wingsuit on or, you know, jumping small canopies or wherever it may be. Uh, and I fortunately live very close to a drop zone. So when I'm home, I spend most of my time out there jumping and training mm -hmm. and trying to get better and stay current and wrapped up a week-long trip to Asia. I hit Singapore and Hong Kong for some speaking stuff about two, three weeks ago. And that's about it. We're selling our house, getting ready to move out of California. Going to disappear. Now, why ever would you move out of California? Why would you move out of California? Uh, I watched the commercials. Well, it's supposed to be. Yeah, the commercials look great. It, it is. I mean, I have nothing to complain about living in San Diego, first and foremost. The weather is amazing. The scenery is amazing. Yeah, is amazing. Uh, but if it, I wouldn't have the house that we live in if I hadn't have worked out here and retired out here. So I, I like the mountains a lot more. Uh, it's cheaper oh, up yeah. there. The cost of living is lower. Gas prices are lower. The educational system, I would argue, is probably slightly better. Uh, the gun laws are much more in accordance with what I would like them to be as opposed to California. Hmm. And yeah, there's just, I mean, I'm, I'm not much of a beach and water guy. I mean, I haven't had enough of that. I, I would prefer more time in the mountains. So we're going to move to the mountains. Cold, dark water. I bet you've had your fill. <laughs> I've had enough fun in the water. I'm, I'm all set right. on that front. I hear you. Hey, uh, tell our audience, they don't know much about wingsuits and they don't know much about small shoot uh, jumping. Tell us about both of those, just for fun. Sure. So a wingsuits, I mean, they're all disciplines of skydiving. Uh, the wingsuits, I think, started getting created probably in the neighborhood of almost 20 years ago. And the wingsuits really? of today look, yeah, look nothing like the wingsuits of the people who were on the cutting edge. I mean, they, they were basically, uh, they had loops of fabric that they would put over their thumbs and just stretch taut <laughs> and a wing between their leg. I mean, they were, they were trying to figure it out and they were able to do some amazing stuff with that. And now I, mean, I just got a, my brand new suit for 2017 showed up on Tuesday and it's, I mean, it's completely measured to my body. It's laser cut to probably less than a 16th or an 18th of an inch of micro precision. Uh, each wing has a ram air inlet. Each wing is internally baffled, kind of like the inside cross section of an aircraft for rigidity, which allows you to, you know, the more rigid the wing, the more you can cut through the air. Uh, but it, I mean, it totally changes skydiving. Normal skydiving, you jump out and you'll get 50 to 60 seconds of free fall coming relatively straight down. And these wingsuits, you can get two and a half to three minutes of flight and you're flying forward at the same speed that most people are falling down when they're skydiving. So it feels like flying 
you're, I mean, you're going 120 miles an hour forward with a, a grin on your face that is uncontainable. You basically feel like a little a jet plane. So the only thing you can't really do is go back up because there is no propulsion to provide that lift. I can gain a little bit of altitude in the wingsuit, but then you stall the thing out and start falling again. Uh, it's kind of like a, it's a cross between a prom dress and a straight jacket. It's a lot of material. Nice. And you need to be, yeah, it's a lot of material. You got to take your time. You got to build your way up to the, the size of the suit. You start in a very small suit and you work your way up uh, over time. Whoa. And you can do some. Well, now, why, yeah, why, why a small suit? Why a small suit? I would think, like I surfed as a kid. Now, I was an East Coast surfer. Don't hold it against me. But, you know, you had to work your way into a small board. As you learned, you went to a smaller board. Why a smaller suit? Uh, that's wild. I, I, I'm surprised at that. Well, the larger, is, so like the suit, I the suit I have right now, there, my arm and leg are connected by a wing, and my mobility is, I'm not going to say drastically limited, but it's definitely reduced. It, I mean, I don't hmm. have, I, I can't put my hands up over my head very far if I need to, and I can imagine. the suit that I, the suit that I fly now, if I were to get out of control in the suit and say stall it or get the thing spinning. It would be harder for me to get out of because of the surface area of the material that I would be fighting. So when you're learning, you want to learn in a, a, a less consequence, you know, a more consequence-free environment. It's kind of like longboarding. First, you can you can move your balance around a lot on a longboard and still stay on the wave. You can do a lot of things wrong that, and all of those imperfections will be highlighted on the smaller board, the short boards. Think of the big, the small suits that you learn to wingsuit in. You can make a lot of mistakes. Your body position doesn't have to be great. You have a lot of mobility, a lot of flexibility, but all of those imperfections will be highlighted when you get into a bigger suit. So it's just, it's do you of, have to uh, be stronger? Like, do you have to be a pretty strong person? I would think with that wing, that would exert a lot of pressure, or does it pretty much right itself? Like, it's going to flip you into whatever position. Because I think when you did your uh, world record jump, uh, your your uh, flight. I th you tumbled or something. You barrel rolled. I think you hit your ankle or something on the door, and then you barrel rolled. Does that require a lot of strength, or do you pretty much have to go dead stick and go back to neutral? Well, yeah, the exit on the record jumps was just – I just didn't have a very good exit. And the suit that I was jumping had a lot of surface area. It was pretty large. And by mm -hmm. not presenting it to the relative wind symmetrically, you could see the, the net result of that. It spun me up. Uh hmm. If you, if you jumped out and you had an orientation where your belly was facing the earth and you just relaxed, the suit would probably fly at 60% of its potential. So if you want to get it up to 80, 90, 95, close to 100% of potential, you're, you have a lot of input with your body. You're, you're you need to stretch the suit out to make it as taut as possible, which definitely requires uh, some muscular strength to be able to do that. And if you want to hold that position, obviously it gets exhausting over time. Uh, so it, you can fly the suits in a very relaxed manner. We kind of talk about that as in the terms of flying it dirty, like it's not clean at all. The air flow over the top and bottom is not clean. Or you can pin it out and really flatten the suit out, and then you're just kind of playing with the angle of attack to increase your speed and your descent. So for the record jump, I was pretty flat and going about as fast forward as I possibly could. I was definitely putting a lot of a muscular input in to hold that position. It gets it gets exhausting over an extended period of time. 
I could imagine 18 miles uh, laterally. I I would think it, you would be exhausted at the end. Obviously exhilarated, but exhausted. Yeah, if people want to give it a try and see what that felt like, take a somewhere between a two and a half to a five pound weight, one in each hand, and just stand upright and bring your arms up until they're at about a 45 and hold that for eight minutes. That's about what it felt like. Because you're pushing my, my, I'm pulling the forward leading edge of the wing uh, up against the suit to try to create that taut, thin profile mm -hmm. that's going to cut through the air. Mm. But you don't always have to fly like that. You know, in, in, in the course of a skydive, you'll have moments where you're flying like that to increase your speed. And then you, maybe you'll be coming up uh, next to a group and you need to slow your speed down and you might relax that arm position. You might drop your knees down. There'll be a, a variety of different things to contort how the suit looks and mm -hmm. to be able to match fall rate and speed. So, I mean, that's, that's wingsuiting in a nutshell. And then the, the small or high-performance canopies, you know, they all, all canopies are, they're, it's, I mean, it's also a wing. It just happened. They're called ram air parachutes. Air gets rammed in the front of it, and it creates a semi-rigid fabric wing. The larger the square footage of that fabric wing, the more docile the canopy is. You know, in the military, we usually jump in between 360 square foot to 400 square foot canopies. They're very large. They have seven individual cells. They're designed to support the weight of a jumper and equipment and to get entangled with another jumper and their equipment and still land them safely. So you obviously need a very big wing to do that. And then yeah. as you learn uh, on, the, on the civilian side of the house, nobody really jumps with a parachute of that size. Most people start maybe in the mid 200s, like a 250 to 275 square foot wing. And over time, you can kind of work your way down to smaller canopy sizes. And at a certain level, uh, they start to become semi-elliptical or uh, pretty elliptical with that leading edge kind of scooping back instead of being a rectangle. And then they have different uh, line sets, which are the lines that support you from the bottom of the canopy all the way down to your harness and your container system. Different fabrics, some of them are you know, zero porosity, meaning the air doesn't pass through at all. Some of them allow the air to pass through, and it's uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of like automobiles. You can buy a semi truck or you can buy a Lamborghini. They all their concept is the same, but they perform much differently. Hmm. So, do you? Uh, well, first of all, what is the cost of like a now? Does the wingsuit come with the parachute, or that's a separate thing altogether? I would imagine they'd have to go together. Uh, well, if you want to do it more than once, you you probably should pair them. But uh, if you order a wingsuit, you're only going to get the wingsuit. So the parachute and anything that you're going to jump with that is a separate order. Uh, for a wingsuit, you're going to probably spend between $2,500 to $3,000 for a high-end wingsuit. And for That's a parachute, uh, yeah, well, for a container, you know, like the, the fabric that contains both your main and your reserve parachute, there's kind of entry-level stuff, and then there's high-end stuff, just like in anything else in life. Uh, your reserve parachute... Uh, I think they're about $1,500. Then there's a small computer called a Cypress or a Vigil, uh, basically an automatic activation device. And it's it's a computer that's constantly sensing the barometric pressure and speed. And if a certain criteria is met, uh, an electric charge is fired and a razor blade goes through the closing loop, the fabric closing loop on your reserve, and it deploys your reserve for you. It's basically a, an emergency backup system in case you were to get knocked unconscious or lose awareness of your altitude. So it's a, 
they're great to have. They're about 1500 bucks. Not everybody jumps with them. The container itself is probably 2500 to $4,000. And like the high-performance canopy that I jump, I think it was $5,500, maybe $6,000. So you're talking about, about $10,000 for a parachute plus, you know, another couple thousand dollars for the wingsuit. Wow. That's a lot of money. It's a, but then again, it's, it's you know, luxury, I used to say, it's a luxury activity for sure. Uh, you know, it's funny because I used to say this, I was a motorcyclist and, and I used to tell people all the time, they would say, you know, what's it cost for a suit like you're wearing? And what's it cost for the helmet you're wearing? Gosh, it looks like I'd say, look, you have a $10 head to get a $10 helmet. Yeah, you know, when you're yeah. talking about stuff that's that sustains life, probably not a good idea to cut corners. Yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. I fully agree. Absolutely. Well, so uh, you've been a busy guy, and we appreciate you taking the time. you got all those boxes to pack. I'm sure you've gone to the grocery and, and asked them, hey, do you have any apple boxes and orange boxes and frozen goods boxes? Or, you know, you're probably doing it doing it better than that. That's that's stuff, something I do. I'm, I'm not packing. Um, yeah, I'm not packing anything. I'm going to have somebody come pack and move us because I have to travel during the time period. We're going to be doing all that. So I'm, I'm going to spend the money to allow us to be stress free. Yes, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. So before before we get into the meat of it, uh, you've been quite the prolific writer of late and you wrote an article and it's it's so ironic because I just saw this today. Uh, cause I did a, I did a Facebook live video and, and, uh, and some social media stuff where I talk about, look, let's stop with the freaking out, the vexing and the whining about how it's never going to get better for conservatives, how the swamp won't ever be drained. President Trump is looking feckless, the establishment, blah, 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 on and on and on. And you wrote, uh, an article 101 days. And I thought, you know, wow, that's, it's pretty darn good. Um, for a guy that doesn't, uh, you're a pretty prolific writer. I mean, you, you got a lot of good stuff going on. Um, you say uh, we made it. We survived longer than most thought was possible after the election of Donald Trump. During the election, I heard talk of the end of the world. And, you know, I have to tell you, that cracks me up uh, how the left behaved then versus how the right is behaving. Many of the people on the right uh, are behaving now. It, because they're freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy's a Trojan horse. And look, they're a bunch of rhinos and we got to get, you know, it's a hundred days. The man, a hundred days for Pete's sake, he's done more than a hundred days than I'll ever do in my lifetime. And um, he just, he's just, he's not getting a very good relevant. Uh, but you go on to say, I'm not saying that everything is perfect. I'm not saying that everything is good. I'm, I'm not saying everything is going to be perfect or that everything's going to be good. I'm simply saying that we're still here and maybe this is a good time to take a peek in the rearview mirror. Then and I, I like when you put this, if I'm being honest, because from all I'm able to tell, that's all you ever are. Uh, I could have done better over the last 101 days. And I like how you pivot to you. Well, what did I do the last 101 days? Look, I don't want to put out there for everybody to see what, what Sean Greener's done over the last 101 days. My goodness, I don't want to give the last three days. No, it wouldn't, wouldn't show very well for me. Yeah, nobody <laughs> does. Nobody wants to put that stuff out there. Um, but you said, I feel like I did a relatively good job, but there was certainly room for improvement. I would give myself a B. I wish I could say A plus, but I didn't earn it. And, you know, I wouldn't give myself even a B. I'd probably go C or D over the last, we'll just say five to 10 days, let alone 101. Um, and, then, and, you know, I've got to be real with myself about that. Most people aren't real until the pain of either not doing what they should have been doing or doing what they shouldn't have been doing 
uh, and I always like to say I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't the first to quote this, to say this, but we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat of the torch burning our skin. You know, it's, it's just reality. A lot of times we wait too long to do the right thing, to stop doing the wrong thing, the unhealthy thing, uh, you know, and start doing the right or healthful thing. And I'm not just talking about healthful from the standpoint of physically healthy, but also mentally, emotionally healthy. And so um, you go on to say uh, you waste a, a, a good amount of time on social media, reading endless arguments and articles that support and defend the various positions people hold. You drank too much a few days, ate too much a few days. What do you, what is it? What is your drink, by the way? What, what drink do you like? I don't know. Generally what I encounter that has ice cubes in it. <laughs> Whatever has ice in it. Uh, yeah. See, you could have been born in the South. I'm not a fan of, yeah, I'm not a fan of champagne, but I can handle just about anything else. I hear you. I hear you. I got on a, uh, Hey, this has got nothing to do with this, but I got on a kick. I watched this television show, uh, some educational television show, probably had to be, I don't know, four or five years ago. And they talked about the origins of whiskey invented by a 17-year-old preacher. And I was shocked. I was hmm. shocked to hear that. And they went through all the different things. And uh, I mean, I didn't have any idea that, that – um, if there was that much to it, I really had no idea, but it was fascinating. So I tried it a little bit here and there. And um, I even did the real super expensive stuff. And I, there is a major difference between the really good stuff and the not so good stuff. Uh, and then the really crappy stuff. But the fact of the matter is it's, it's still rough. Wolf, man, you felt like you're drinking medicine. So anyway, so you, uh, you ate too much a few days. Now that's a problem for me. Um, I, you know, and I, I eat too much and I eat too much of the wrong things. And I'm just under 6'4 and 250 pounds. So I'd like to be about 225. I think that'd be my uh, my best weight. So so I'm with you on that. You caused a couple of semi-ridiculous arguments with, with your wife. And aren't, aren't they always that way? When we reflect on the argument, it's almost always silly. Um, but, you know, we have it. Where on one occasion, I may, I love that you wrote this in here. I may or may not have refused to modify my position to avoid being wrong. So, so like, man, that's so man. It's just, it's so me. I don't, I don't want to be wrong. So I won't modify it. I'll just keep pushing, you know, but at the end I do admit I'm wrong. And, and uh, so I, I do have to give myself kudos there. So you skipped a workout here and there. And I imagine that you work out pretty fiercely when you work out. And I imagine you work out probably more than 95% of us. You slept in a few days. That's probably like six 30 or seven to you. Uh, when you should have gotten out of bed over the past 101 days, my biggest shortcomings was with your kids. You had less patience with them than you should have more than once. I mean, I'll tell you, I look back on my, how many kids do you have, by the way? Three. And uh, how old are they? 13 year old boy, an 11 year old boy and an eight year old girl. Oh my gosh. Two older brothers and a little eight year old girl. Oh, good lands. Poor thing. She's never going to be able to get away with anything. So, um, you know, I know from being a parent now, my daughter will be 25 this year and, and my son is 22. And but I still, you know, I, I still remember back when I didn't have the patients more tired than I should have been emotionally and physically uh, or, or as tired physically and emotionally as I guess I was supposed to be at that time. And I look back and I didn't have the patience that I really, in retrospect, I really wish that I had. Um, 
Tell me about the people in checkout lines at the grocery store. You had your patients utterly tried more than once uh, from people in checkout, because that happens to me too. And I wonder if it's the same thing. So tell us about that. Yeah, uh, let's see, I'll just I'll avoid naming the chain of the grocery store, but uh, it just doesn't happen to me often. And most of the time I can tune it out, but you know, there's a normal pace of a line that it should, you know, people are used to accustomed to making it through the grocery store. And this, I mean, this was just last week. And I noticed what caught my attention. I was, of course, catching up on my current events by looking at the National Enquirer, catching all the breaking news. And I just noticed the tone of voice, like uh, it was a a man talking to a woman and his tone of voice was kind of just elevating and getting agitated. And she was getting elevated and agitated. And then I want to talk to a manager. And so at this point, I started paying attention because at some level, I'm going to step in and tell the dude to shut his mouth because you're not going to disrespect, you know, a lady trying to do her job. I'm going to, I'm going to step in and do something about that. But it wasn't necessarily rising to that level. They were taking care of their business. And then, you know, for 20 minutes, we sat there as person after person came over trying to honor a coupon. So this dude could buy nine lines for 99 cents. And the coupon was from a different grocery chain. And it's just... Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, and I don't know. I mean, it, at first I was pissed, and then I just started laughing about it because you can pick and choose your battles in life. And it's like, why would you? I bet you the the price without that coupon was probably a buck fifty. And it's yeah. like, what's the value of your time? So instead of getting upset, you know, I just was like, hey, you know what? Screw it. I'll go back to reading Time Magazine or whatever it was. And, but I mean, that stuff happens all the time and you have a choice, right? You can sit there and look at your, look at your watch and start sweating because you think you're going to be late or convince yourself that the, you got something more pressing to do and how dare this person, or you can just sit back and let, you know, and let people make an ass of themselves. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm like that. And a lot of times I will think to myself, wow, come on. You know, I'm along the same lines as you, as far as the time goes, I think to myself, wow, your time must not be worth very much. You must not value your moments. Because in order, and, and this always, for me, uh, kind of lays itself out when I look at people who perhaps they have a, a coupon and they'll drive 10 miles out of the way, or even gasoline, if you've ever noticed that. Let's say there's a difference of 0.9 cents, you know, yeah, not even, more not money even going, Yeah, They'll spend more money going to somewhere where it's cheaper. They don't realize at the end they took a net loss. Yeah, it's just amazing. But I think what it comes down to for me is they don't understand the value. They don't even value their own time. So they're not going to value your time because time for them, uh, it's it's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's just a weird thing. I wanted to ask you, uh, and, and if this is too much for you, I certainly understand and, and I respect that. But being a person who has been combat wounded, you've, you've buried lots of your friends, um, and you've seen and experienced a lot of really, really tough things that, let's face it, 99.8% of the population, they've never experienced that. Um, is it harder for you, because uh, obviously I provide uh, counseling for um, PTS and PTSD and, and other, I do grief counseling, things like that for Gold Star families and combat vets. And, and so as a result, you know, I, I have some connection to some of the things that people experience that have been in combat. And having been seriously, seriously uh, wounded, I I wonder does that does that impact your patients with stupid stuff? The grocery store guy, the um, 
you know, the, the person, this is one that gets me, uh, that when they pull up to the gas station, I don't know if in California you have self-serve gas stations, but but I don't yeah. remember. I've been out there a bunch of yeah. times, but I've never gotten gas there. Um, so here we have self-serve gas stations and the person will pull up and, but then they'll, they'll walk in. You think they're going in to give their, you know, maybe they don't want to pay. Maybe they're a cash customer. I don't know, you know, and they're going to go in and they're going to pay. They're going to be right back out. Uh, but then they come out with, you know, four donuts and uh, 36 ounce coffee and a diet Pepsi and, and, and all this other, and their sandwich for the day. And, you know, they're 10 minutes in there waiting on their order and they come out uh, and they put their stuff in their car and they drive away and they weren't getting gas all that time. They, you know, they weren't about to get gas. They weren't paying. They're just being disrespectful to other people. Hey, I know I can park here. Maybe I got gas and now I'm going to walk in and do that. I'm not going to take the time to move my car. Um, that drives me crazy. But as a combat vet, somebody that's been shot, somebody that's life is, You've seen, you've seen death front of mind, nose to nose. And does that impact the stupid stuff? Or does that make it, I guess, easier for you to cut through the stupid stuff and get to the real? Uh, I mean, I think first and foremost, I think it's a good thing that a lot of people don't have those experiences. I mean, they're certainly unique and it'll give you a, a set of glasses to view the world through. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably for the better that most people don't experience those things. And uh, I, I would say it gives you more tolerance for stuff like that because there's things in life that are worth getting excited and spun up about. And then there are things that are absolutely not. And the vast majority, mm-hmm. from what I can tell and what I have seen, of things that people get upset or wrapped around the axle about, at the end of the day, they're, they just don't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think yeah, you, I, I would agree. More patience. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it depends on how you process information, and I think there's a there are a lot of people out there which I am really amazed to uh, to experience that they don't manage stress very well. They don't manage any aspect of stress at all. Uh, they are. Um, I don't even know how to put it. I mean, they grew up not managing their own lives. They grew up, uh, you know, maybe they their model was their parents or parent uh, that that just mismanaged every every aspect of their life. They didn't even manage their own time very well. They were the person who, you know, blew up at the you know slightest little thing, had no temper control, no discernment, none of that stuff. So it is interesting to me. I, I find it very very fascinating how things go sometimes with people and you can almost track it. Are you a different person now than, and I, this is a stupid question really, but I guess maybe the question is, is how are you different? Uh, you went through buds and you went through many, many years, a whole career of being a Navy SEAL at the highest, highest level of, of the, the most elite uh, uh, special warfare operation in, in the world. Um, you know, what are some ways that you've changed from who you were before you stepped on that tarmac at Bud's or stepped on the beach at Bud's, wherever, and the person you are now? How did that change you? Hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, honestly, when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't, I don't think that I'm, I mean, I don't feel like a different person. Uh, 
I mean, I, yeah, I went through a difficult selection course a couple times and, but again, I volunteered for these things along the way and continued to volunteer throughout the military career. So, uh, I think having been able to achieve some things that are regarded as difficult certainly helps with your confidence. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm definitely sure of who I am and I don't have any doubt as to the depth of my beliefs and what my beliefs are. But I would say as the human being, uh, I mean, and I saw this as a budge instructor as well, too. I think the vast majority of people that are drawn to those type of career paths are just the type of people who are inherently tuned for it, whether that be their mental approach to things or their personality. I think the selection program does a really good job of filtering out people who don't fit that mix. And probably mm-hmm. 20% of the people can mold themselves into that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something you're necessarily born with because just like you were saying, the people who can't deal with stress, well, you need to be taught to deal with stress. I mean, there's some pretty easy things that you can do to deal with stress, but if you're never taught those things, yeah, life is going to absolutely kick your ass. So it's a combination of inherently who you are and then some other skills layered on top of it. But I mean, I look at myself in the mirror and I still feel like the, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kid growing up in Santa Cruz, hanging out on the beach. I mean, I really don't, I don't, I I would like to think that I'm not that changed uh, as a person. I mean, I know the one thing that I do that I, I would say the biggest quality that I've noticed a difference in is probably empathy. Uh, I struggle to empathize with people complaining about, you know, oh, it's uncomfortable or, oh, I'm in pain or, oh, this is difficult because I, I just had it reinforced very early in my life that, yes, all of those things might be true, but verbalizing it or thinking about it is not going to help anything. Just get back on the horse and move down the road. So it's, it's tough for me to struggle with that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I would like to think that I'm the, I'm the same person post military at a, at a human being level that I was pre. Hmm. Now you joined the military, uh, you know, right around the same age I did, um, 17 years old and you re-upped each time and, and, you know, you had increasing levels of responsibility and, and, and all of those things. I mean, those are all, those are all real. One of the things in your audit you talk about is how, you know, all that stuff that you did, those are opportunities open to every single citizen in this country. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter what gender, what religion, or even if you don't have a religion. Um, And they're not for everybody, but they are available to everybody. And, and how you draw upon, uh, I, you know, uh, I've coached a lot of different sports and I have to say in coaching, I drew from my military time and post-military time to, to teach these kids, no matter what age they were, to teach these kids, hey, this is discomfort. This is not pain. And I teach my kids, you know, no, this is not pain. This is discomfort. There's a major difference. I'm trying as hard as I can. No, no, no. You really are not trying as hard as you can. You don't know yet what trying as hard as you can is unless you are fighting with somebody face to face who, when they were born, they were born to hate you and trained to kill you from the littlest age. So when you're in a fight nose to nose with a person like that, then then you know what giving it your best is. When you're in a situation similar to that or, or similar situations and, and you survive, then you know what giving it your best is. 
but this is not your best. You're not trying your hardest. Um, this is not pain. Um, and, and so I, I'm just interested in, in how you put that. Um, obviously, to, to make the statement that, you know, you're not making the statement, obviously, because the seals wash out so many more than ever even make it to the fifth week of, of, of buds. But, but really, everybody has the opportunity to try it. Uh, you get through the selection process. You have to get in great shape. To even have an opportunity, you've got to really, really, especially if you're in the fleet, you better prove yourself. Because, hey, you're saying, hey, I want to go do this thing that's, number one, going to empty a billet for, for a, a chief or senior chief, and all because you have a dream of being a SEAL. When they know the washout rate is so high, you know, do they really want to let this person that's in the fleet filling a role work in their 12-hour shifts, you know, that they've trained to now go do this thing, or people that, you know, now with the SEAL designation, special operations designation, you can go in straight away and do that. But uh, you said you won the lottery. You were born into the first world. And I was just having this conversation with somebody, and they said, yeah, first world problems, right? And I said, but this is the world you live in. You've never lived, and I've never lived. I've been to lots of third world places. I've been to lots of terrible, terrible places, as have you. And uh, for me, for me, the real wake up was uh, Yemen and uh, Lagos, Nigeria. I just, you know, in my little old Sussex County country boy, I never in a million years thought there was a place like that in the world. One in the case of Yemen that stunk so bad, and the people were so awful, and. And uh, Lagos, Nigeria, hey, quarter, not even a quarter of a mile from my, from where I was staying, there was a human being been, being, a dead human being being eaten by a dog. And, you know, that was just such a paradigm shift for me. And I wonder, you know, as we go further into the, uh, like, for instance, in your life, I, I think about your life. I've thought about this with your move and going to where you're going is just an extraordinary place. I mean, it's just an extraordinary, cold as all get out, but it's an extraordinary place. Um, some of the most beautiful skies I've ever seen in my life were in that state. I mean, just utter stunning beauty. And, and I look at that and I think, but if you went there unprepared, even though, you know, retired Navy SEAL, a lot of skill sets, you know, how many people, I, I just throw this out to you if, you, if you want to answer, you can. You see all these shows about Alaska now, right? You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, the last wilderness, and it's it's true. I mean, it's absolutely true. And I've been to Alaska many times, and I can tell you, lots of people want to move there until they live there for a week, till winter comes. Summer comes, and they see mosquitoes so big. Now, we have a listener right now listening from Alaska, and he can he can validate. You better be prepared and you better you better be tough mentally, physically, your preparation better be on point. I guess, you know, and probably I would say it's probably pretty accurate to say you did a lot of research on where you were going to move. What were the what was the criteria for you as to where you're going to move you and your family? Well, both my wife and I, well, she was born in Montana and I had lived in Montana wow. when I was younger. So I had a I mean, I remember that it snowed. I don't. I don't remember a whole lot about it and we're actually not moving to the same area in the state, but I mean, you got to go and you got to spend time there and don't go spend time there during the most amazing months, go spend some time there in the months that 
people historically say are the worst ones to be there in and get mm-hmm. a feel for it and a flavor for it in those times. Uh, research, I mean, like for me, obviously being a parent, you know, researching the schools, cost of living, uh, you know, laws, veteran friendly states, veteran benefits to the state taxation. I mean, all, all of that stuff comes into account. And then you could have all of those things, but you still may not like where you're living. So I think the biggest thing for us was getting up there and spending a good amount of time over the last six, eight months to, you know, taking our kids there and making sure that they're going to flourish in that environment in the worst times of year versus the best. It was a combination of all those things. I mean, research is amazing, uh, but at some point you have to put the, you have to put the tires on the road and see how the car performs. So that's, I mean, that's what I recommend people do in situations like that. Yeah. You can't be recommend, you can't be ready. Aim, 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 aim. At some point you got to pull a trigger, but you got to have the information. And I think that's probably, and in your, in your piece that you wrote, I think that's probably what drew me on this. Uh, You have a paragraph where you, you, you write, it goes without saying that it is essential to hold the president and those that work for him or her accountable. I choose to leave that responsibility to those who are more qualified. Personally, I would rather focus that effort and time on something I can actually control myself. You've lived through good bosses and bad bosses. I have found that my situation never improves or is changed by analyzing how good they are at their job. If I want my situation to improve, I need to take the time and effort to analyze how well I am doing my job. I had to stop there for a minute when I read that because I thought back to, and I'll confess this to the audience, you know, um, you know, we're all friends. I have 1.4 million friends. I'm a lucky guy. Um, I, I have to confess there were times in my life, not just when I was in, you know, grade school or high school, but times as a grown man, a grown man where I got stuck on that pain in the neck boss, the boss that just chapped my rear uh, he didn't know what he was doing, you know, or so I thought, what the heck do I know? Uh, and then maybe some cases they, they were an idiot. Uh, they were terrible at their job. They weren't an honest person. They were, they were immoral in every, every way you could describe it. Uh, they weren't a benefit to the organization in any way. They cost the organization and they really messed me up and messed me over. I've had school teachers like that. I've had bosses like that, but I've had the, the situation where I sat there and I said, I didn't do what you did in, in, in that. I looked at myself and I focused more on that that chump of a boss. I focused more on that terrible teacher. It's easier to do that than, you know, look into the mirror and, and focus the effort on yourself. It is definitely easier to do that, to point at others. I agree. Do I agree. It doesn't do anything. And, and it's just a, a self-to-self uh, argument. You know, you can answer for the other person. You can pretend that you're, well, I'm going to give them. This is what I've recently uh, learned, that there are people in this world that think they're honest with themselves and think that they're honest with everybody else, but they're not. They walk around in a huge lie. They lie to themselves. They never face themselves in the mirror and tell the truth about themselves. And they never tell the truth uh, to others. They, they just are too content lying about every single thing. And, um, and that's, that's damaging. It's damaging to themselves and it's damaging to everybody else. But I guess hurting people hurt people. So that's just how it works. Focusing on the things you can control yourself, your actions, the example you set, your family, your community. So I thought about how do you, um, and this occurred to me 
uh, I guess a few weeks ago, when I was talking to a guy, I do uh, pretty intense counseling for people who are at the edge. And this happened to be a combat that a tier one operator retired, uh, also medically retired. And uh, he was having a real bad day. And I felt I felt intensely bad for him because I felt like, you know what, this, you know, I can say any number of things to this guy, uh, but I never want him to feel that I'm being inauthentic or trying to act like I know what it's like to walk in his shoes because I don't. I don't. The reality of it is I don't. And, and, and so I looked at that and I said to myself, you know, he was telling me uh, some things about his kids. He had, he had lost his temper uh, with one of his children, a um, little bit older, uh, younger than mine and older than yours. And he lost his temper and he grabbed, he grabbed his son on the shoulders and he shook him and he just proceeded to just cuss him up one side and down the other. And he was mad at him for something incredibly stupid, something every teenager does. And, um, and at the end of it, he, he kind of lost it with himself. He, he, um, he went into isolation and he, and he, you know, he didn't apologize to his, to his son. He didn't apologize to his wife. He just, he retreated into himself. And, and eventually that retreat, you know, involved alcohol, way too much alcohol, uh, some sleeplessness, uh, the fatigue started to set in, the mind started not functioning properly, replaying things in his head. And all of a sudden he's sitting there with a firearm and he's saying, I'm of no use to anybody. Um, and so we kind of talked him through that and, and, and uh, got him over the hump, so to speak. But I started thinking about, uh, you said, focus on the things you can control yourself, your actions, the example you're set, your family, your community. Talking about your family, being a parent is a tif just a, a difficult thing. It, it just is. I mean, the stakes are so high being a parent. Um, how do you view being a dad? How do you, what do you, what do you think the biggest challenge is? To being a, a good, no, I don't want to say being a dad. Anybody can be a dad. That, that's a physical act. Boom, you're a dad. Yeah. You know, that's a stick plus sign or negative sign. Is you know, there's nothing more to it than that. I mean, you know, if an animal can do it, a human can do it. But being a father, being a real father, what do you think the hardest thing about that is? I think the hardest thing about being a parent in general is consistency. You know, doing you know just a consistent message. And then reinforcing it with your actions, you know, when you, if you're like, you know, I talk to my kids, my 13 year old son, we talk about alcohol, you know, and then if he were to see me completely loaded in front of him five days out of seven, you know, the words that I say, they don't mean anything. So you have to not only be consistent with your message, but you have to actually uh, live it yourself. And you have to, yeah. you have to accept the fact you're going to fail as a parent in some degree, shape or form every single day. And you just got to keep trying to do better. I mean, that's, that's what I found. I have yet to have a perfect day of parenting, uh, but I look at it as the most important job that I've ever had. I mean, my goal is to improve the world around me by creating and helping to foster better human beings than myself. I mean, that's my only goal that I look at as a dad and it's a struggle. It's, it's certainly not easy and uh, it's worth it though. You know, you got you got to put your work boots on every day for that one. Yeah. What do you say to uh, what do you say to to dads who are uh, they know they've screwed the pooch on on raising their kids and it's it's over. I mean, the kids, the kids are gone. They're, you know, 
whether they're off at college or they're they're working, they're trying to, you know, muddle their way through life. And and the and the dad knows he screwed the pooch on this. He really screwed it up. He messed up. And what what do you say to that dad? I mean, I don't know if I'm qualified to give any advice to that father. Um, but if I, I guess I could flip the coin and look at it from the perspective of what I would want my father to say that if we were in that situation, which we are we're not. Um, but I mean, is it ever too late to reach out and apologize and at least try to mend, you know, any of the damage that is possible to mend? I, I mean, if it went that far and they're out of the house and they're on their own and they resent you, I mean, I don't know if that's salvageable. I'm sure that's situationally dependent, but I mean, I can't really think of a time where it's worth throwing in the towel. You know, it's the same as anything else. If you throw in the towel, you're never going to know. I mean, the, mm-hmm. I would reach out and try to build it back from square one. I mean, what do you have to lose other than a family member? Well, and you know, it's funny because I looked at the uh, I looked at the last line. Well, I guess really the last paragraph. You talk about how people are addicted to, uh, you know, social media, and you know, they think they're posting the wittiest meme in the world, and they're really they're they're it, it is a it is a belief. Now, social media is very powerful from the standpoint that it can it can move the needle some. But generally, people are living in a uh, they're living in a bubble because they're going to it's just like who do you select as friends? You select friends. You look at their 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 uh, their Facebook and you say, OK, this person has 900 common friends with me. Oh, I like that. That's good. So 900 of my friends are, you know, they've kind of did, they've kind of done some of the work to vet this person. And then, and then, you know, you look at their timeline and say, well, you know, they, they kind of talk like I do. So I, you know, I kind of want that. Uh, and, so, and so before long, it's an echo chamber. It's just an echo chamber and, and you get the likes and all that stuff. I learned this when I gave a speech to the largest audience, thousands of people, and they gave me a five-minute standing ovation at the end. It really touched my heart. It really, really touched my heart. And then when I came off stage uh, in the back, I was shaking hands and I had forgotten my books, which is stupid because I could have sold, you know, a bunch of books. And but that was dumb. Um, but uh, so I, I went to the back. I went around the little side thing. The security guy takes me around to the where the people are going to be filing out, and I wanted to shake as many hands as I could. And so many people were like, oh, my gosh, you know, so life changing. Thank you so much. Blah, blah, blah. All these very nice, lovely things. And they were nice and they were lovely. But I have to say, the one that stuck with me was the man who walked up to me and he said, you know what? You suck. I can't believe I wasted 90 minutes of my life coming here listening to you prattle on. You know, and and, and that stuck with me. I mean, it really, really stuck with me, the, the failure uh, and I thought of a sermon that I wrote that I've, I've preached many, many times called Hunting Dead Lions. And there's a, there's actually a passage in, in the Bible that talks about that. And deadline could be, uh, in that context, it could be, you know, maybe maybe the guy was a uh, superstar quarterback in high school, right? You know, he looked good. He was in great shape. You know, the droop of age hadn't set in. And, and you know, he threw that big touchdown. And he was the hero of the school and everybody kind of, you know, presses pause when they're at that place. And so they, they think, oh, well, you know, he's great. And then you go to the, well, of course you're, you're too young for this, but the 30 year reunion, you go to that 30 year reunion, this dude is fat. He's bald. He's stuck in that place. He's still trying to wear that stupid letterman's jacket. He can't even button now. Uh, You know, he's been through three or four failed marriages 
And he's, he's hunting dead lions. He's going back to that thing that he did that one time, but it's over. It's done. It's gone. And, and I guess dead lions could go from being that good thing or, you know what, where you screwed the pooch. You really screwed up. I mean, you screwed up your kid. Uh, last week, you know, it's funny, you and I were texting. I was in behind the wire and, and, um, and I apologize for that, by the way. I, once I got there, there was no way I could leave. And I appreciate your flexibility. It's awesome that you were willing to yeah, do no worries, that. Man. No, I appreciate it. I really, really do. And so we're communicating back and forth. And I'm explaining to you what's going on. I'm sure it must have been weird to you. And, uh, you know, by 917-0900 the next day, you know, he comes out and he gets, you know, he engages police in the gun gun battle. And, and as it should be, he lost. Um, but as I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, you know, how crazy this is that, you know, the, the time of somebody's life, you know, where his parents, of course, we didn't know at the, at the moment that, but, but the shooter's parents contacted the police and said, look, lest you go into this thinking that you're not sure if this is the guy, he is the guy you're looking for. He did kill the trooper. He just told me that he, this is where he is. And, you know, you know, this, and they started helping him with the house and all that stuff. And, and what a terrible thing. What a terrible, you screw the pooch that bad. There's no coming back from that, I guess, unless you just say, Hey, maybe I didn't screw the pooch. Maybe the, maybe the, uh, maybe the parent didn't screw up the kid. Maybe sometimes there's just bad people. You know, I, I know a person who I thought uh, for the longest time was a good person turned out not a good person at all. Not a good person. Everything comes out of their mouth is a lie. And sometimes people are like that. Not everybody else in their family is like that, but this particular person, that's how they roll. Well, uh, I think at some point or another, you look at th that time you really messed up, you know, the dead lion that that wasn't so good, just wasn't so good. And like you say, and uh, in, in the end of your uh, blog post here, and I think it's interesting, the order of the blog post, because you can see kind of how you're thinking. Confessionsofanidiot.com, folks. If you're going to subscribe to a blog, obviously, I'd love for you to subscribe to my blog, obviously. You know, I'd love that. But if you're only allowed to subscribe to one in your universe, then subscribe to Confessions of an Idiot. It is excellent. It's truly, truly excellent. Very much worth your while. Subscribe to it. You'll get all the notifications and all that stuff. It, it, it will be very, very worth it. And I think that you'll be glad. you. I don't think you will. I know you will. So in that, you, um, you finish it with to those who are not able to control posting every single shred of information, news articles, essays, opinions about individuals you love or hate, consider this. The endless barrage of information does not paint the picture of that individual. It paints a picture of you. If you want to be a leader, act like one. That starts with being critical of yourself just before being critical of others. And I thought about that, and I thought about um, you, when you're going through training, and obviously you can't say a whole lot about it, uh, but when you're going through training and it doesn't just stop with buds, everybody thinks, you know, a seal goes through buds, uh, prospective seal goes through buds and they're automatically given the trident and up oh, here we go. We're off to the teams, but it's so much longer. The process is much more drawn out than that, much more difficult than that. And, um, but when you're in that, when you make a mistake, what do you say to yourself? What are you taught to say to yourself mentally when you make a mistake, forget about you're it, in training, yeah. forget it, forget about it, move on to the next thing. I mean, you can't, there's, you can waste time worrying about the past, you know, or you can drive on in the future and try to course correct. So if you're out there listening and you, and you have screwed the pooch with your child, one of your children, uh, you know, the whole making amends thing, and it might not be your child. It may not be your child. It might be somebody who you were in a relationship with. 
and they trusted you implicitly and you did the very worst, very most awful thing, you got to be honest with them. Tell them. Confess it. Get in front of it. Apologize sincerely from the heart. And then you got to move on. And that it's up to that person whether or not they want to move on or, or stay hunting that deadline. That might become a deadline for them in their life. They never get to move on from. But that's their choice at that point. But you got to be truthful and honest and real at that point. You got to tell the truth. You've got it for at least once in your lifetime. Tell the freaking truth. Because I'll tell you what, if you run around with a lie and and uh, it's do you play golf by chance? Uh, I get irritated by golf. I own golf clubs. I don't play often. Uh, and it's funny because I live on a golf course and I don't I don't play any since my crash for obvious reasons. But uh, but but, you know, when I did play my great friend, Jerry Summers, he uh, he he's a phenomenal golfer. My goodness. I mean, if he was a betting man, he could take so much money from people, just so much money. Uh, but he, but he, one of the first big lessons he told me is don't try too hard. Don't swing too hard. Swing smooth. And you make a mistake, go on to the next shot. You make a mistake on a hole. That's why there's 18 of them. Go to the next one. And I think that says a lot about people. Uh, you know, I'm, and it's funny to me, not funny, I guess ironic, I should say, that you've chosen the career that you, that you did being a seal, because, you know, you make a mistake in, in combat, it's life or death. You don't get to, but then again, you got to move on when you're under fire, you got to keep moving. You got to the next 30 seconds. Um, and, and I thank you for writing that because that was a very personal, it's called 101 days. And it's not about what you think it's about folks. It's not about, there's a picture of president Trump on there, but I don't think you, I think you're going to be surprised what you discover there. And so I only, call, I only my, called it that because, yeah, the day before, everybody was, you know, breaking down his 100 days, hour by hour, day by day, comment by comment. And I realized I had missed the boat. I was like, damn it, I'm a, yeah. day, I'm a day long. So I just went with the same thing. And it just there's so much more to be gained by doing that same level of, of microscopic assessment of your life as opposed to somebody else's you can't control. Sure, sure. So your next article that I want to direct everybody to is A Crisis of Character. You wrote that on the 27th of April. That was the day after uh, this trooper lost his life and and uh, the day after you and I were to be on the radio together. And, and you have this photograph that I really, really like. Uh, it's of a sniper rifle, very nice scope. I'm assuming that's your sniper rifle. And, uh, and you're looking, I think that looks like Afghanistan. So you're looking over a valley. Uh, oh, it is your, your sniper, a valley from a sniper over watch position in Afghanistan. <clears throat> and it, th that I've seen lots of sniper rifles. I've shot lots of them. I've seen terrain like that. I've been in terrain like that. So that's, that's not what, what got me. Um, it's your statement that I was going to post it as a throwback Thursday, but the more I looked at the image, the more it got me thinking about the world of today, much more than the world of seven years ago. Now this was 2010. Your very next line, three-word sentence is, life is precious. What does that mean to you, life is precious? Because you've seen a lot of life and you've seen a lot of death. Uh, I mean, it means exactly that. It's something that shouldn't be taken lightly. It has, I mean, it has value. It's unique. It's, 
I mean, probably the only thing of actual value at the end of the day that human beings have. I mean, we get caught up in cap, you know, capitalism and money and objects. And at the end of the day, none of that goes with you. You know, people get, you know, you got one life to live and yeah, it has to be protected. A uh, long time ago, I was going to do a PhD. My PhD originally was going to be, I uh, focused on, um, in, in the, the genesis of this, or I guess the, the, the steps of this, uh, I studied the Holocaust and really in detail, I mean, super, super detail. And I wanted to write a dissertation that directed people to the truth of the Holocaust, just how incredibly awful it was and what led up to it and all these things. But then I wanted to lead the, uh, the reader or the evaluator of the dissertation into just war. And I found that there were so many being written on and so many had been written on just war. I said, ah, I'm not going to, I don't want to write something that everybody else has said. And, and it's supposed to be original research and all this. And so I, I, I didn't want to do it, but I wish I would have, and maybe I'll write a book about that someday and try to come up with some different things. But you, whether you agree with it or not, or despise it, sometimes that means taking the lives of others. Man, that is it's such a juxtaposition for a lot of people. Life is precious. It should be protected at all costs. Whether you agree with it or despise it, sometimes that means taking the lives of others. Can, would you mind explaining to the audience what you mean by that? I know what you mean by it, but, but, but they need to know what you mean by it. Uh, I think it was the easiest or simplest way to write out that evil exists. And regardless of your viewpoint of the world or where you stand as an individual, you know, a pacifist or a preacher or a soldier or somebody who just wants to be left alone and live in either the first world or the third world. There's somebody out there who is who is hell-bent on exploiting you or terrorizing you or destroying you for who you are, regardless of your beliefs. Like, everybody has their access, and they don't value life the same way. They don't look at life as being precious, and I've, and I've seen this firsthand plenty of times. It's just the enemy that the United States is facing or the Western world is facing, they have much less value on life. They take the exact opposite approach that life isn't precious, that their cause means more than life itself. And there's nothing, there's no way you can do anything about that other than turn the lights off. I mean, that's the only way that you can protect them from taking lives is to take theirs. And I don't expect that to make sense to people, but it is the reality of what I've seen with my own eyes. So the enemy that we face now, obviously, we're we're talking about, um, and I'll, I'll 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 use it this way. I'll say it this way to further discussion: radical Islam uh, and the proponents of of uh, you know the ISIS and and Taliban and and so many others. Um, they, you're right. They they're a culture of death, not a culture of life, and it's very hard for us. I think in our society, you talk about first world things. You know, they're very third world in many respects. But, you know, like with the hijackers at 9-11 uh, and so many other uh, attacks since then in America, you know, they lived in the West. Uh, many live in France. You know, they've got lots of uh, attacks going on there. France and Germany and, and Italy and all these other places. You know, these people lived in, in first world. I mean, they lived well. And yet that ideology, that, that uh, religious, political, and military ideology that drives them is absolutely a culture of death rather than a culture of life. And so I am, I am moved by that to the standpoint that, yeah, you're, you're right. You said it. You could turn off the light if you want. 
and so many other people. Uh, they said just just last week, you know, um, I I was doing a Facebook Live video when the guy came out, and uh, the one that killed the trooper, he came out and he engaged uh, law enforcement, and law enforcement killed him. And I did some posts, and I said, what happened to him should have happened to him. He got what's coming. Good riddance. And, you know, obviously, I'm a, I have a doctorate in theology, master's in theology, and I'm all over the whole theology thing, and, and I travel around and preach. And a person who has heard me preach many, many times said, you know, gosh, that, it's not very pastorly. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we at this moment pray for him and his soul and, 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 and consider what brought him to this terrible place? Uh, you know, what, what terrible events? brought him to this terrible place, these events in his life, you know, that these poor decisions and, and, and the hurts that, that he faced that turned him into this person who would make the biggest mistake of his life. I corrected that in several ways. I said, you know, first of all, he didn't make a mistake when he pulled those trigger eight times, six times directly into the cranium of the police officer at close range. He didn't make a mistake. That required in, in the, you know, most pistols about seven pounds, five to seven pounds of pressure. He exerted those seven pounds of pressure with his finger. That's an on-purpose thing. He did it on purpose. He didn't make a mistake. He did it on purpose. He had to combine a physical act, you know, with a with a, a deadly act. It's just like people that they cheat on their spouses. That wasn't a mistake. It was chosen. You did that on your own. People that beat their spouses, that's, you, it's not a mistake. You, didn't make, you did that. You chose that. You got to own that as a choice. You talked about you know, owning stuff, being a leader, own, first of all, you got to own it. But, but uh, I said to yeah, this person, no. And, and it, there's, there's another way to look at it too. And, and I hear this argument often with people saying that if we would just stay out of the Middle East, that we would be left alone. Or if we, you know, if we just stayed inside of our own borders, we would be safer. And it's, it's a misunderstanding of, of what is motivating the, you know, those individuals in that instance. But to bring it to the person saying, you know, what, what terrible things in life could have happened to make this person do this? Well, there's not always a linear link in causality. You know, maybe the person is just a psychopath. Maybe they have a chemical imbalance. There, nothing happened to them. Their psychology or physiology made them that person. And nothing that anybody could do was going to stop that. It's People need to dis disconnect themselves from, you know, I'm a nice person, so nice things are going to happen to me. That's not the way that the right. world works. It's not the way that people work. And it sets you up to be victimized because you're constantly, oh, what did I do to cause this? Well, you might not have done anything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, in the case of because I'm studying uh, habitual liars right now, obviously, that's a part of counseling and and more and more that's becoming an issue. And so studying a particular habitual liar, that person started at a very young age lying. And they became comfortable at it. They became adept at it. They expanded that to the point where now the lies are ruining other people's lives, just ruining life after life. They just keep moving forward. That's a decision. When you tell a lie, that's you made a decision. And whether it's whether it's uh, being a diabolical evil person, uh, or maybe you have a, a a mental illness, whatever the case may be, when you so easily and so quickly, like in the case of Islam, you know. Takia, they, they lie for the advancement of Islam. To them, it's not lying. It's jihad. It's 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 being a good Muslim when you lie for the advancement of Islam. Well, in the case of somebody like you said, you know, maybe it's an imbalance. But in this in this instance, this is how they're raised. 
little kids in in uh, on the West Bank at, at three to five years old watch cartoons where it's depicted killing Jews. You know, you you are a good boy if you kill a Jew. You're a good girl if you, you know, if you kill a Jew. If you lure a Jew in and you kill them, you're even better if you kill a Jewish American. You know, that's how they live. And so those people I mean, I, aren't going to. I'm no, I, yeah, I'm no expert on Islam by any stretch. I mean, I have some experiences personally with people who are of that faith who have definitely been radicalized. But I mean, I, I can't speak to the generalities of the faith in and of itself. I mean, it's. Uh, I'm sure some people are raised like that, but I also know some Muslims who have no interest in those thought processes either. So I think you got to be careful right. painting it with too broad of a brush. And I totally understand that. And I totally get that. That's why I said radical Islam. And so, yeah, for sure. but in that, yeah. On, and in that, on the radical side instance, of the house, now we're, now we're talking a different story. Yeah. And, and they're not going to change. You're not going to have a conversation with them one day that says, Hey, you know, gosh, you know, I made some mistakes here. I made a few mistakes. Golly, you know, how unfortunate, um, you know, and boy, I wish I never had done that. And, and uh, you're not going to, you're not going to have that conversation. By the time you even start that conversation, they're going to kill you. They're going to put a bullet through your cranium. It's just not how they work. But, but in the, the, the statement that sometimes that means taking the lives of others, life is precious. Uh, it should be protected at all costs. I think I have to look at the person who would honestly look up an interviewer or another human being in the face and say, look, I don't want a gun in my house. I don't want a gun anywhere near me. Uh, look, if, if, if a robber comes in my home, you know, I'm going to let them do whatever they want to do. I'm not, you know, I'm not a violent person. I'm not going to engage in violence because that makes me just as bad as they are. And, and so I'm just going to, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, Look, I, I lock I mean, the doors of my house because I love my family. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that never happens to those people. Uh, fortunately, statistics are on their side, and you can feel that way if you want to, but you're completely screwed uh, if things don't go the way you want, if that's your mentality. And, and again, like, have whatever mentality you want. I'm not out in my, it's not my passion in life to try to change people's minds or change who they are. The stats are, you know, the stats are on your side, but... Mm -hmm. You're, you're screwed if you end up on the wrong side of a statistic. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And so uh, you go on in this uh, article, the, there's a moral dilemma, burden, and cost of taking a life, regardless of whether it's portrayed in the movies, which it's always portrayed stupidly. I think almost everything in the movies is very rarely ever accurate. There's no one standing over your shoulder to tell you when you should pull the trigger and when you should exercise restraint. You alone stand for the actions you take. You alone bear the responsibility. It can be the loneliest place on earth, especially when you are flirting with the boundaries of uncertainty. In the wrong hands, weapons can be used for evil. In the right hands, they can stop evil in its tracks. Um, you can choose not to pick up a weapon, burying your head in the sand, hoping that others will solve the problems on your behalf, which is what warfighters, you know, that's, that's what warfighters do. Uh, this position allows you to judge without action. Sit on the sidelines, complain about the rules of the game without actually playing it. And when you stand behind those engaged in the fight, refusing to engage yourself you rely on the sacrifice to keep on their sacrifice to keep you safe now i have to ask you as a person who is you know indisputably an expert on rules of engagement um i have to ask you what and i don't know how much of this you can say uh but 
But as to a rules of engagement thing, you know, how do rules of engagement need to change? You know, what are they now and how do they need to change? I mean, I think they're, they're theater specific and they change kind of as the theater of war matures. But at the end of the day, the, the ROEs are pinned in two things. You know, you, for one, you always have the inherent right to self-defense. Uh, but, you know, as long as one of two criteria are met, and that's hostile act or hostile intent, you're covered under the ROEs to engage an enemy force. Uh, it becomes difficult when you have limited information, though, and you have a very compressed uh, timeline to make a decision. And I mean, like less than a second on uh, an individual that is moving quickly. And is that a gun or is that not a gun? Are they moving to run away from you? or Are they moving to a position where they're going to try to flank you? You know, and that, that's what I'm talking about, the boundaries of uncertainty. When you're given just a snapshot and have to make a decision concerning life and death in a moment, where you have the rest of your life to think about it, it can get pretty difficult. Uh, I think the ROEs are fine. You know, it's the inherent right to self-defense always exists. Hostile act, hostile intent, you're, you're good to go. We don't need to create some crazy specific ROEs, which more than anything I think would create problems as opposed to alleviate them. I agree. I agree for sure. What um, if you could have and, I, and I'm going to, you know, I don't have this. So, you know, uh, next time we talk, I, I don't ask me for it because I don't really have it. This is pretend. But if you were the king of the world and you had the crown, I had the crown, I give it to you and you get to decide. You know, you truly get to decide, OK, what happens, what doesn't happen? Um. What do you change in our military? What are some of the things that you change? And I guess maybe, you know, you've served with enough different branches that I would I would say it's probably fair to say that you would know pretty much about the military. But but if you just want to ask Navy specific or, or uh, you know, Naval Special Warfare specific, whichever you choose. But what would you change if, if you were in charge? You get to impact it. What do you change? Uh, you know, I can't speak Navy specific. I can only speak to my career field. I think they do an amazing job of training you for the, the, you know, first off, selecting the right people, training them, equipping them to do the job that you are going to do. There's support networks that are available for you while you are in. I guess I would try to build a better bridge to people when they get out. Um, and it's not that there's not, there's plenty of, plenty of organizations that are dedicated and designed to helping people once they're out. But that loss of your sense of community and the sense of the people that you're around is a difficult one. I know a lot of people struggle with it. So I would maybe put some more effort on preparing guys for post-military, maybe even make them non-operational for six, eight, 12 months. Like you're, you, you do, maybe you do 20 years and then for the next year, you're going to get all the pay that you normally did, but your focus is going to be on a healthy and successful transition out of the military, whether that be uh, job skills, vocational skills, educational support, something like that. But it removes, like, you know, you did your time, you did 20 years, you served in an honorable capacity. Now let's just focus on giving you the tools necessary to make sure you can continue to serve in the private sector. I, I think I would spend my time focusing there. I don't know the specifics, but I think that's where the, the, the crux of my effort would be. And you nailed it because uh, truthfully, I look at that and I deal with myself personally, you know, when I, 
when I left the military, I mean, I, you know, I loved being in the Navy. I loved it. I honestly loved being in the Navy. And truth be told, you know, when I when I got out of the Navy, you know, I thought becoming a police officer uh, would. And, and obviously, when I formed executive protection team, I was able to create the culture and it was more like military. But but in reality, you know, the bulk of my time having to deal with the dramatic change from being in a tight group of people uh, who we thought alike, we moved alike, we, you know, everything we did was very, very similar uh, and complemented each other. It, being a police officer, you know, you're serving with people with varying levels of uh, training and preparation experience, their their mental levels were were dramatically different, and so I would say, um, I, I was disappointed, and and I was nothing against the people that are police officers, uh, nothing at all, but it was just a different different deal, and so I agree with you, I agree with you, and I'll support that a hundred percent. In that, you know, hey, it's it's, it's such a transition. You go from 20 years of, and in your case, being a SEAL to now all of a sudden you're in civilian life. And what do you do now? Because everything works different. Yeah, there's not, there, yeah, there's not a lot of time to focus on that transition while you're in because you're just, I mean, the military is, it demands a certain level of being myopic and focusing on the, the job at hand because that's what you're getting paid to do. And, you know, people get to the end of their into their clock and they're getting ready to punch out and you know they realize damn i wish i had some more time to set up whatever's going to be next for me yeah yeah agreed very much agreed uh i'll support that and if and um and you know i talk to congressmen and senators and blah 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 a lot and i and i'm going to mention that because that's a that's a great idea they do need time uh, to adapt. It's it's a different world. It's just a it's just a whole different world. And when you spend 20 years in such a specific environment, uh, that is tough, man. That's that's turning the bend in a in a way that's just really, really, really difficult. So and that's you true, know that's true of a, a job at IBM or you know film and blank. You do 20 years, it's a, it's a long time. You're ingrained in the thought process, and it's going to be tough to make a lateral transition. Medical data tells us that uh, people die a lot. Uh, they they die. Many people die very soon after they retire. Uh, you yeah. know, when they were working, yeah. they were fairly healthy. All of a sudden, you know, 14 months after they retire, boom, they're keeled over with a heart attack, or they're keeled over with a stroke, or or whatever. You know, things happen and. And all of a sudden they're dead, you know, and uh, I, you know what? The heart I, attack data, the heart attack data is one that surprises me. I've had a couple of friends that they just basically dropped dead in their uh, early forties. It's like, yeah. I, and I don't know if there's any correlation. I don't know what could, I don't know what causes that. I, I mean, it just, but I think statistically we're probably above the norm in, in population for that, for whatever reason. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and so I think the transition, but you know what's interesting to me, uh, the data is is really, I guess I shouldn't say shocking because it's not shocking anymore. Uh, it was shocking initially the first couple of times I read it that, uh, you know, the average person in olden days from your first job, olden days, uh, from your first job to the job you, you finish up and you no longer work from, uh, that, that was seven jobs total, seven total jobs. When I was, uh, I think it goes back to 
I figured it to when I was around 10. That was the data then. You had about seven jobs in your lifetime. And then the, the people who were my age then said, oh, this is terrible. Or, you know, this is, you know, it, you know, people lived in the same house. They bought a house. They stayed there. Maybe they worked on it. They fixed it up, but they didn't move, you know, move up the neighborhood, move up the neighborhood, move up the neighborhood. You know, they didn't do that. They just stayed in the same house. They fixed the house up, you know, best they could. And they stayed at the same job. Well, it's all changed now. Nobody stays at the same job anymore. Now the number is 17, 17 jobs yeah. from the time of your first job to the job you finish and, and retire. People are constantly looking for the next next thing. You know, it's a classic example of the grass always looking greener on the other side. People will hop, hop, you know, they'll jump ship in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, they really will. They really will. And and that causes so many problems. People do that with marriages. People do that with friendships, relationships. Uh, they do that. And, and that becomes a real self-fulfilling prophecy because what ends up happening is you you burn all your bridges. You know, you do things Agreed. that make, pe make people hate you. Uh, they make people hurt when they see a photograph of you or hear your name. They hurt. They go, man, that person, that face that's associated with pain for me. And I don't, I don't want any part of it. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it applies to every area of our life, the stick to Um The only difference is, you know, and I studied this uh, as a police officer and then after uh, data for some academic things I was doing. Um, and I did some consulting after leaving the police department. And one of the thing I found was, you know, people, people leave a job, they, they look at the situation and they leave a job, or not a job, not a job, a home. They look at the situation of their neighborhood and they say, well, drug dealer moved in next door. Uh, well, the person two doors down, they don't mow the grass anymore. Well, you know, the person next door, we used to have a great neighbor. Now the neighbor's terrible. We hate them. They make lots of sounds. In that case, you know what? You have to make a personal decision. Maybe your neighborhood declines. But the whole idea of your neighborhood declining that didn't happen in and of itself because you're in the neighborhood. And it talks like when I mean, you talk about you can choose to stand in front of those who have weapons, despising what they stand for. Although this may seem like the bravest position, it's far from it. It's easy to destroy. It's easy to throw stones. These people attack out of sense of entitlement, not purpose. They're certain that their way is the only way. These people often claim standing for a cause, but it's a facade. And behind it, they're standing for themselves and their own self-interest. In the case of a neighborhood where the neighborhood goes to crap, uh, you know, when, when the feces hits the circular wind device and now you, you, you wish to God you had a, a garage you could fit your car in because you don't want to be outside more than 10 seconds longer than you have to because your neighborhood is going to crap and you can't wait to sell your house, but you can't sell your house because the values are plummeted because the neighborhood is crap now, even though people used to want to live there, but you live in the neighborhood. So when people say, Hey, I don't want to call the police. I don't want to confront the neighbor and say, hey, come on, you got the grass, what's the, what's the deal here? You need some help, are you hurt? You know, it's funny because my next door neighbor, uh, when I was in this crash, my son had just had a major, major, I mean, essentially his ankle had become detached from, from his leg. It's shattered his leg. He had this world famous surgeon to have to put the leg bone together and the ankle together, it was all artificially done. And the day of my crash, he was still on crutches. The next day he was supposed to go have a surgery to have some of the screws taken out. Well, so I, I have the crash, 92 versus 51. I go from 51 to zero and seven feet, massive deceleration trauma. So I can't 
you know, walk to the bathroom myself, feed myself. My son, he's got this big cast on, crutches. He can't mow the grass. What does my neighbor do? Uh, one of my neighbors, the rest were wonderful. Call the county people after a week or so, two weeks of not being able to mow the grass. Instead of saying, hey, you know, can I mow your little postage stamp of a lawn? Help you out. I know you were in that crash. I see your son's on the crutches. Your wife's busy taking both, take care of both of you, trying to work. Maybe I could help you out. No, first thing that person did, gets on the phone with code enforcement. Code enforcement comes, gives me a warning, gives me a ticket. And I say, you kind of see what condition I'm in, right? And he goes, yeah, if I'd have known that, I would have told them to go pack sand. And, you know, that's awesome that he was willing to do that. But, but the neighborhood, society starts with neighborhoods. You know, I don't know how out there you're going to be in Montana, but, but, you know, there's a lot of wide open country there, but, but neighborhoods are neighborhoods and, and, you know, neighborhood goes to crap. Sometimes we're somewhat responsible for that. Not responsible, but we're responsible for not fighting it back. Not fighting back against it. I mean, the, yeah, your level of input or lack thereof. One of the things that drove me crazy as a police officer, you know, you'd have these terrible neighborhoods that use up about 87% of police services, you know, and they don't pay taxes. You know, they're not paying taxes here. This is lest we delude ourselves. And they're calling the police all the time, saying stuff over and over and over, you know, but, but then when a crime happens, you go in as, as you know, the big hat, you go in the neighborhood, you say, or as detective, you go and you ask questions, hey, did you see anything? You know, darn good and well, they saw stuff. Why don't they say anything? Well, because they're afraid. We, we absolve, we give them absolute absolution. We absolve them of any responsibility to do what they should do and say, look, this is what's happening. And, and I'm tired of it. Neighborhood doesn't gather together. Good people don't gather together. They just hide behind. A lot of times they're older people that can't move, which I said all that to say this, that you, um, you say, I believe we're witnessing a crisis of character in this country. We've become a nation of me instead of a society of we. You see it on the news where crowds of people choose to film with their phones or stand by passively ignoring a situation instead of stepping in to do the right thing. I see it in our elected officials, the celebrities we worship and everyone in between. I see it on social media platforms where individuals converse in a consequence-free environment using language that would not be tolerated in person. I see it in daily personal interactions where the gravitational center of the universe is the individual with no concern, care, or thought given to how actions or words impact those around them. You do not have to look far to find these things and they are eroding the foundation of the country. Leadership. Leadership, personal yep. leadership. Maybe, you know what? Maybe you don't have to lead a platoon, you know, of SEALs. Maybe you don't have to lead a team of SEALs. Maybe you don't have to lead a, a, an army complement. Maybe, maybe that's not well, what you're doing. Well, leadership has nothing to do with position or title. I mean, you can lead by yeah. those things or you can lead by example. Nobody is absolved from it. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I think we're we're at the end here. We've got uh, we have done we have done uh, exhausted our time together. I know you've got a hop, so I, I respect that, and I don't want to hold you up. But thank you for sharing that with it. Maybe uh, next time we'll share a little bit more on specifically on leadership. But I think we cover a lot of ground today, and I appreciate you taking the time to do it. I know you got a million things to do. Um, look, man, we, we we say it every time. We appreciate yours and and your the brotherhood service and, and all of the soldiers, uh, male and female and the people, the support people out in the, the I, that's the thing. A lot of people don't think about, man, there's a lot of people out there uh, who never get any, you know, high regard 
for doing what they do, but you couldn't do what you did uh, if it weren't for them back there doing what they need to do behind the lines. And and so we need to thank them as well. Listen, man, I know uh, your time is valuable. You can choose to place it any way you want, and I'm honored that you would take the time to place it with me. Folks, confessionsofanidiot.com. Don't mess around. Remember to do it. It's easy to remember. And uh, quite quite frankly, I, I do appreciate you coming on. I really, really do. I don't just say that as the host of the Not show. Not my pleasure, man. It, uh, no doubt. Pleasure. No doubt. Hey, man, uh, keep safe. And uh, I, I just hope and pray your move goes well. All my best to your family. And uh, again, America, thanks you. I know our audience does as well. Well, they're very welcome. And thanks for having me on. We'll talk again soon, man. My pleasure. Take good care. So there you have it, folks. Uh, kind of a kind of a unique guy. I don't think you can argue with that. Very, very unique guy. And listen, I, I have a uh, I have a question for you. And, and this applies to everybody listening, and, and they tell us we have all these listeners. But uh, really, it doesn't matter how many listeners you have. It's how many listeners you can move to action. So I want you to go to his blog. My blog is the Ninja Pastor, the ninjapastor.com. There's a little panel that pops up. You can, you can subscribe um, to that. It's just your name. You can make up a name and put your email on there. Um, I think the other day I looked, and we have thousands upon thousands of subscribers. But that doesn't mean anything unless you engage. So if you'd be willing to engage there, let us know you're there. Uh, on this show, uh, Blog Talk Radio, the way that it works is if you become a subscriber and it's and, or follow the show, you have to just follow the show. You go to blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. You become a follower. Look, that's what helps me. Uh, there could be 1.4 million listeners, and the numbers tell me that's true, but it's how many subscribers, how many people actually take the time to subscribe that makes a difference. The other thing I want to talk to you about really, really quickly, um, I have this thing called a Hilo LX on my arm. It's it's a health oracle. Uh, it, it, you wear it on your hand, on your wrist. Uh, I've got to tell you, it is so amazing. I'm, I'm not kidding you. I am ser seriously not kidding you. So um, what, it, what it did for me the other day is my blood pressure got high. Obviously, I have life-threatening, uh, idiosymptomatic life-threatening hypertension where my blood pressure goes to unsustainable levels, no matter what, it doesn't matter. I, I've been on six medicines, the max dose of all six at one time and, you know, didn't help. Um, so this thing, what it does is of course I'm out in the woods and wilderness. And so it gives my wife a way, gives your loved wife a way to look at that and say, uh Oh, cause, cause it'll notify her. It'll send her a notification of, uh Oh, there's a problem. And I can set all those different levels, my heart rate, my respiration rate, my EKG, it actually does EKGs, it's ECGs and EKG, it's, it's unreal. This thing is unbelievable. Does my blood pressure every 120 minutes, checks my respirations, all of these things, uh, heart rate, the whole deal. And I set low value and high value. When it gets to those, it sends, you know, to the ones I love that I specify. And it's not everybody, it doesn't go out the whole world. You have to specify, you have to sign them up, they have to acknowledge. And it goes out to them. And they know. So I'm in the wilderness all the time. It sends my GPS location uh, via text and via email. Isn't that amazing? I, I think it's absolutely stunning. So if you want to learn more about this thing, I just would feel remiss if you, if you didn't at least look at uh, HTTP colon backslash backslash say hello Wix site. Say hello Wix site. Um, W-I-X. It's just it's easy. Um, dot com. It's say hello dot wix site dot com backslash Dr. Sean. 
And for those of you in chat, I'm posting it in chat right now. And so um, I will also post it on the Facebook and social media for you. Boom. There it is. So you have it. Um, follow me at Twitter at the Ninja Pastor. Follow me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash SM Greener uh, and at the Ninja Pastor. I really am honored by it. Um, it is uh, it is absolutely an honor to come before you every week. Uh, Sundays, you know, we do the 530. Um, and, I, and I have to say, you know, I'm just a regular dude. And and for this number of people to take the time to listen in, is it's, it, it really is humbling. I mean, it really, really is humbling. And I don't take it light. I started to say with Andy, and I didn't for, I didn't finish this. So I go give a speech, thousands of people, you know, oh, standing ovation, five minutes, people are clapping, they're crying, all this stuff. And then that person, oh, I did finish it. This person comes up to me, you know, and, and they just ring me. But, you know, that person could have been a follower for a long time, could have really loved me, could have been, you know, on the best thing since sliced bread. And then all of a sudden you say one thing and that's it. You're done. You're off. Um, look, I could be a great guy. I don't I don't think I am a great guy. I think I'm a regular guy. Uh, but I'm going to mess up. I'm going to do the wrong thing, whether in reality or in just in your eyes. And I've got to tell you, folks. You can't, you can't be addicted to people agreeing with you because if people agree with you all the time, guess what? You might just be speaking to the choir. Sometimes they're not going to like it. And uh, so I encourage you to take a look at who you're talking to. And, and if, if they're just kind of filling, filling your ear full of, you know, they're tickling your ear, so to speak, uh, and, and they're not willing to tell you the hard stuff about you, and you're not willing. Listen, if you want somebody to tell you the hard stuff about you, guess what? You have to be willing to hear the hard stuff about you. You have to be willing to hear it, and you have to be willing to be real. Um, I've had friends, I'll tell you what, I'm embarrassed to say I, I kept his friends too long, who lied to everybody um, about who they were and what they were about, and, um, you know, they, they were they were fake. They were fake, they were a liar, and uh, just not real. And and you find this out, and I'll tell you what, it's devastating for a lot of people. Devastating for a lot of people. It's devastating for me. Look, I'm not I'm not heartless by any stretch, but I've got to tell you, I've just got to tell you, uh, people be praising you. They praise you, praise you, praise you. You're great. You're great. You're great. Better check yourself. Like Andy Stump said, and and he said this so so well, both in his confessions of an idiot.com post and, and, and verbally here, he, he articulated this very eloquently in saying, look, you got to check yourself in the mirror. You can't make it about everybody else all the time. Yeah. I wonder sometimes, you know, that person that lied, 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 lied to me, you know, how easy did I make it for them to tell the truth? You know, you just there's there's a thousand questions you ask, but you can't ask every question because at some point or another it has to fall to people's personal responsibility. You have to say, you know what, you got to do the right thing. We all have to choose to do the right thing. I will tell you that I know I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. There may be 1.4 million people that listen to the show, and I say one thing, one thing, and all of a sudden, it's just a whole different kettle of fish. They're they're not as friendly to me. They don't love me as much. Oh, Dr. Sean, ooh, I, 
I'm very disappointed in you, Dr. Sean. I'm surprised that you support this or that, or you follow this or that, or whatever, you know. Um, it is indeed. It is indeed a tough, tough thing to do. And I don't do this to be liked or praised or, or applauded. Um, I did this because, you know what? Uh, a 19 year old kid behind the wheel of a borrowed car with state minimum insurance, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, killed me. I was dead for a few minutes, killed another young man and it ended his life. And I had to change everything about my life. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm recommitting today to reevaluating my life, what I do and why I do it and, and how well I do it. You know, what, what am I doing? You know, taking a look, you can be a leader of your life. You can't lead anybody else's life until you're willing to lead your own life. Honest to goodness, until you're willing to be a leader in your own life, you, it's senseless to say, well, hey, why? Why in the world am I not being selected as leader? Well, it could be, could have a little something to do with maybe you haven't been a good leader in your own life. You haven't led your own life well. I'll tell you what, that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And boy, when you get to that place and you, and you find out that you've you've messed up, you can either make it about everybody else. I know somebody, man, they blame everybody else for every part of their life that is wrong. Every part. It's always everybody else's fault. Well, I've got abandonment issues. Well, uh, dad didn't talk to me well. Mom wasn't like, listen, uh, you know, husband was an alcoholic. Wife was a bluesy, whatever. Uh, you control what you control. You can control what you control. Be yourself. Be real. Look, if you're a conservative and you're a hiding conservative, I think at some point or other, you got to be authentic with yourself. You got to be authentic with others. There's so many people out there. This blows my mind. There's so many people out there that whisper to me, hey, I listened to your show. I really love it. Um, I have to tell you, uh, you know, I really, I voted for Donald Trump and they whisper it, you know, and I was really proud, really proud to do it. Really? Because you know what? You don't sound like you're proud. You don't sound at all like you're proud. In fact, you sound to me as though maybe, maybe you're a little embarrassed. Maybe you're embarrassed to be yourself in other areas of your life. Look, I'll tell you, if you lie about being who you are and how you think politically or even from a religious perspective, you're going to lie about a hundred other things. You're going to lie about a hundred other things. And it's going to start off as something small and stupid. And then, you know what, eventually it's going to grow into something that's not small and stupid. And you're going to lie to people whose very heart is completely connected to yours. And they want to trust you. They want to believe in you. They want to lean back into you and say, yeah, I know they're going to catch me. I know they're not going to let me down. Look, we all let each other down. Sometimes we, like I say, screw the pooch. Sometimes we don't, we don't do it the right way. We mess up. Maybe we forget something. Maybe it's a, a real genuine, I forgot. I, I'm really sorry. Maybe sometimes we made the wrong decision. We did the wrong thing. We did it intentionally. Well, you got to stop saying I made a mistake. I hate that. But you got to make things right. Even if you can't save that relationship, be it a friendship or, or you know, a husband or wife or even your kids. My goodness, if you make a mistake, be willing to tell your kids you made a mistake. Be willing. 
See, why aren't you more forgiving? Why aren't you more forgiving? Look, in order to forgive somebody, they have to be repentant. Everybody goes around saying, hey, you know what? Hey, man, you know, you just forgive, man. You just forgive. People aren't repentant. Yeah, you do forgive to a point. But you don't forget it. You got to be repentant. You say, why have you never forgiven me? Have you ever repented? Repenting from a biblical perspective and real life perspective is you did the wrong thing. You faced it. You acknowledge it, whether you were caught doing the wrong thing or you came clean with it and said, look, I've done the wrong thing. And I'm, and I'm intensely sorry. And I'll do everything I can to make it right. And I won't make that mistake again. I promise you, I won't make that choice again. We well, got to do that. But in order for that person to forgive you, you got to be that person that says, you know what? I did do this. You got to be truthful. You got to be truthful. Look, it's about personal leadership. And, um, and, and, and if I'm to say anything today that you remember, remember this corporal Stephen J. Ballard of the Delaware state police, Delaware state trooper. This time last week, he, he was, um, he was being newly mourned just hours, his family, just hours from finding out that he'd been taken by some scumbag killed by some scumbag. Friday, if you pray for anything, if you're a praying person, you pray to God, pray for the family on Friday. Pray for the Delaware State Police and other police organizations all around the country, uh, but especially in Delaware. Pray for them. It's going to be a tough, tough day. And several, several days, having preached many, many funerals, I can tell you that that day is a tough day, but the days after that, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Tough times. Tough times. There's a whole lot of people out there protecting you. Don't you forget it. And you know what? There are a lot of people who give their lives. Who gave their lives so that you can be free. Don't forget them either. But you know who I really uh, want to remind you to remember? The Gold Star families. Man. Lose your family. Lose your family member. Lose your child. Lose your husband, your wife. Your mother or your father in service to this country. You lose your police officer, husband or wife, son or daughter, dad or mom, in service to your community and your state. Corporal Stephen J. Ballard, we dedicate this show to you. We thank you for all that you have done for us in the eight and a half years that you were a Delaware State Trooper. To Louise, his wife, uh, I'm going to tell you that I honor you. The statement that you gave via video was powerful. And, and I know that Corporal Stephen J. Ballard, your husband, Steve, would be so proud of you. And in fact, he is, because I know he was a believer and he placed his faith in Christ. And he is with Christ now. And uh, I know that is of little consolation when you're mourning the physical loss, the emotional loss of that person. Uh, but I will say this uh, over time, it will help you. And if you or any of your friends are listening, I don't know if you're a listener to the show or, or uh, I'm, I'm often surprised who's a listener to the show. I'm stunned very often who's a listener to the show. Uh, but if anybody that listens to this is friends with Louise uh, Ballard, I have an ebook on grief, which might well be very helpful to her. And if you are a Gold Star family or you are a soldier, a uh, combat soldier, and you're mourning the loss of many of your, of your partners, your, your brothers and sisters in the field, you're a mom or a dad, um, I have this ebook, and if you message me on Facebook, I will send it to you free of charge. 
Uh, I wrote it thinking of you. Listen, been a day, been quite a week, been quite a month, been quite a year. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me. I am truly, truly honored that you would. And uh, give a look at the, the Helix, the, he the Helo LX, I should say, the Helo LX. I have it on my wrist right now, and it's just, it's just flipping amazing. It's just an amazing thing, um, especially if you have any health concerns. But if you don't have, it does the traditional things, I mean, steps, and it, it measures your sleep like you've never seen before. Um, no offense to the other, you know, wearable fitness devices. This is far more than that. It is absolutely an oracle of health and lots and lots of great information that you can actually share with your physician. You can create a report and send it right to them via Bluetooth. Unreal. So as we close today, I, I just want to thank you for listening, for making this a priority. It's a long time. Some of you aren't able to listen the whole time, but you listen for a great deal of the time. And I'm honored that you would. I really, really am. It doesn't mean a little to me. It means it doesn't even mean a lot to me. It means everything to me because this would be an enormous waste of time. And so let me know that it's not a waste of my time. Reach out to me. Send me messages on Facebook. Send me messages through uh, at the Ninja Pastor or at the Ninja Pastor on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn. Reach out to me. Let me know. Talking to a screen is is very very different than my live things, and I like to know uh, how this impacts you and if it blesses you. If it doesn't bless you, how can I bless you? What can I do? Show ideas. Call me with a show idea, a topic, and uh, and uh, perhaps we will use your topic. And I'll give you props, or if you say, hey, I'd rather keep this private, um, you know, I uh, I will absolutely do that, no doubt about it. God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And join us Sunday at 5.30 if you're in the Newark, Delaware, or Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey uh, area. Please come and join us. Please come and join us at 5 p.m. in Newark, Delaware. It's absolutely a blast. You'll have a blast with these people. They're real. Nobody dresses. Nobody dresses up. I mean, it's just it's just real, and they're just good people, man. Good people. So if you want to get a feel for what we do and the, the message, go back and listen to Sunday's message. Um, it's at theninjapastor.com. It's right over there under Listen. Click on that. It's commercial free. I think you'll you'll be glad you did. At least I hope you will. God bless you. Stay in touch. Join us next time for The Collision of Faith and Politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www dot dr sean greener dot com in the meantime dr sean will be fighting for you and for this great country thank you for joining in this fight Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.